Staying true to America's national destiny, the voice of the awakening. Your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. He said, and if somebody here, I, I teach him to respect your authority and respect the teachers. He said, but if somebody here hurts my son, I'm coming back and I'm not coming back to talk. Now I know you might say, ooh, but that was my father. But see what, see what assurance that gave me. I didn't have to fight teachers. I didn't have to disrespect teachers. I knew my father was going to take care of business. And you know what? I, I, I wish I could remember his name. He came to me later and apologized, the teacher. And I said, yeah, he must have talked to my daddy. Yeah, he, my daddy was no joke. He could, he could, because look, he could look at you and get you straight. And, and so, see, but, but, but on the other hand, if I, if, if I told my father that I cursed the teacher or disrespected the teacher, then I would have been in trouble. Because he would tell me, that's not your job. You have a problem with an adult. You come see me. But see, where do these young guys go who don't have fathers in the homes? I mean, they, they, they feel I'm on my own. I'll fight it out myself. So the respect that we once were taught for adults, that's gone. That is gone. I was, uh, I, when I was up, pastoring up in Boston, I watched as a gang of guys were harassing a young girl and I mean, they were pushing her and taunting her and it had to be five or six of them. And she was just, just kept walking. And they finally hemmed her in so that she could not get by them. So I walked out because I'm looking out the church window and I walked out and I said, what's going on? And I mean, none of your business. This is, yeah, nothing, none of I mean, you know, you know, I'm a preacher coming out and basically, what do they care? There was a time when the preacher came into a midst of a group. When I was growing up, we say, well, reverend, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and we move on. Because we were just taught to respect authority. Oh, they, you know, ah, uh. So while they're engaging with me, she calls her father. And I looked up, and here he's coming down the street with his hand in his pocket and something bulging out. I'm thinking, uh-oh, let me back up, because I don't know what's going to happen next. Well, you know what? He came in with his little bulge and they cursed him like they found him. And so, oh, you got something? We got something, too. And these kids couldn't have been more than 14, 15, 16 years old. That's what we're facing now. If my, my father had heard that I talked to an adult like that, I might not have gotten out alive. I mean, it, he wasn't having it. But we're young people learning respect for authority now. Amen. Are you all hearing me? See, look. True love doesn't exist without order and accountability, does it? Not true love. True love can't just be a free-for-all. True love operates in, a, in an atmosphere of covenant and order and accountability. And that's what God is giving Adam. God is saying, I love you, you're my son, but look, there's some things I expect of you. John 14, 15, if you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments. Don't tell me you love me and to do whatever you want to do. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them loves me. And then in Matthew 24, 12, this passage about the end times, it says, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Where there's lawlessness, there's no love. And that's why you see people walking up to to, to, to some, uh, uh, here again, 
some woman of, of uh, young woman of uh, American woman of European background, some guy walks up there and says, my boss told me you need to get on your knees and apologize to me. That's vile. That's, that's vile. There's no love in that. That's lawless. So all this disorder we're seeing, the vandalism, the, the riots, the, the, the murders, nobody wants to talk about that either. The number of people killed since this whole conflagration started when George Floyd lost his life. Tra terrible, tragic situation. But nobody talks about the fact all these other people were killed since then. Because that doesn't matter, because that doesn't fit the narrative uh, of uh, the, the Marxist political narrative that they're trying to, to sell, which is capitalism is bad, uh, America's bad, uh, all white people are white supremacists and racists and all of that. So all these black people have died since they don't really matter because the only thing that matters is the one that we can use. <sighs> you know, if I, even as a young man, done participated in some of this stuff, my, here again, my father would have slapped the snot out of me. Because, and, 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 and please hear me well, hear me well. One of the reasons why I so honor my father. First of all, my father taught me, son, you earn what you get. You don't steal from people. You don't take things from other people. You don't take advantage of weak people. You don't take what doesn't belong to you, what you haven't worked for. And, and, and you know, my father was a man of his word. He taught me lying was one of the worst things you could do. You don't lie. You don't steal. You don't cheat. That was my father's ethic, and that, that, was, that was the way he raised me. I'm not saying I, I lived that out perfectly, but I had that deeply ingrained in me. In fact, I'll tell you something. If you accuse my father of stealing a line, you better be ready to fight. Because he's probably going to fight you. Because he, my father taught me, son, men don't steal what doesn't belong to them. Not real men. People who do that are not men. And my father used to say to me, and so look, if you get out here and somebody tries to hurt you and you, you defending yourself hurt them, I'm going to be right there for you. In fact, he used to have a saying, he said, because son, always remember, you can come back from the hospital. I mean, you can come back from jail, but you can't come back from the morgue. But you know what he would also say? He said, but if I find out you're out there robbing and stealing and hurting people to try to get something that doesn't belong to you, don't even call me. Now, I don't know whether he meant that or not, but I tell you what, he put the fear of God in me. He said, don't even call me. He said, because that's beneath you, and I'm not going to respond to that. He said, you want to be around me, you stay out here where I am, and you do what I do. You see me breaking the law, you see me running around and doing criminal things, well, then don't you do it either. My father never taught me the cops are out to get you. He taught me, you behave yourself. And you treat others with respect and you respect the property of others and you won't have the problems that some people have. And I didn't. Amen. Here again, as a black man in America, I'm not allowed to say that because, well, now, wait a minute. Are you saying black men are never abused by the cops? I can't speak for all black men. I can only speak for me. But I know one thing. If you are not out there doing what you've got no business doing, the likelihood of your having a problem with cops drops to virtually zero. Now, look, I, 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 and I don't in any way uh, want anybody to lose their lives, but, 
But let's face it, Rayshard Brooks had a history of problems. A history of problems. And, we, and, and nobody wants to say this either. If he had simply submitted to the arrest, he'd have gone home that following morning. Amen. Not allowed to say that. But you, you, instead you want to send the message out this idiot at CNN sent out, well, he fought because we've learned that if you don't fight the cops, you die. Yeah, I mean, that's insane. Yep. It's exactly the opposite. If you treat the police with respect and you comply, you are going to be fine in almost all cases. Amen. But if you decide you're going to fight cops, don't expect things to end well for you. Amen. Don't expect, I mean, that, that, that's, just, that's just crazy. But you see, when, when, when the relationship with Father God is broken, and then add on to the relationship with your father, your earthly father is broken. Where's the order? Where's the sense of decency? Where's the respect for authority going to come from? And by the way, God bless all the single mothers out there who have raised good children. But it, look, it's an uphill battle. It's an uphill battle. And God bless them for having done so, for having worked hard and, and been father and mother. I understand that because my father used to say, I've got to be father and mother to you. So I, I, I understand that perfectly. I'm not taking anything away from them. But that's not God's best. That's not, God how, that's not how God designed things to be. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so, so we get the, the, the crazy, lawless stuff that we see happening right now. For example, in the autonomous zone of Seattle, of course, it's a no-cop zone, right? Cops aren't allowed. What? You know, cops aren't allowed. By the way, I don't know whether you all are aware of this, but this is true. This is the way the autonomous zone operates. Only Native American, black, and trans women may be in authority. Yes. Only Native Americans, blacks, and trans women may be in authority. Whites may serve and perform rituals of atonement. And you've got corporations giving money to Black Lives Matter. What is wrong with them? What is wrong with people? I mean, we're trying to rip the country apart. And look, I've told you all, this stuff is much more like a cult than it is a political movement. It's like a, a devilish cult that's got in the minds of people. And check this out. In Seattle, they've got something called a agricultural project in one of their parks, and they got a big sign up in front of it saying, this garden is for black and indigenous folks only. White people may work in it, but they may not eat of it. I, I thought that that's what we had fought to end. And instead, what we're seeing is the reverse. But here again, see, that's the devil. That's the devil. And I've said the same thing. And, and, and look, I don't know how the a jury is going to find in the case of this officer Garnett, but this man was charged with felony murder. That's the same charge you bring against somebody who goes to rob a gas station and kill somebody, goes to rob a bank and kill somebody, goes to carjack and kill somebody. You charge them with felony murder, meaning that they might not have intended to kill, but since they were committing a felony and they kill someone in the process, they're charged with felony murder and felony murder carries the death penalty. And that's what Garnett was charged with. Felony murder. 
They said, we're not going to seek the death penalty, but he could spend life in prison without the possibility of parole. He didn't, he didn't go there looking for trouble. He went there at the dispatcher's call, and for a long time it seemed to go fine, and things did not go south until Rayshard Brooks began to fight and resist arrest. And, and, and the prosecutor, when he made the presentation, acted like that never happened. He said Rayshard was cooperative and quote unquote jovial. And, and you know what I've said, and I'll, I'll say it here because I think it needs to be said. To me, it's nothing but politics and payback. Politics and payback. You did it to us, now we're going to do it to you. God's going to smile on that. God's going to bless that. But this is what happens when people reject the authority of Father God. See, the same Father God who made me made you. Whatever the color of your skin, whatever your background, he made you and loves you. How in the, who do I think I am to say, well, you're less than I am because of the pigment in your skin or the melanin in your skin or whatever. I mean, that, that's, and yet even the church is buying into this stuff. You know, and the thing is, just like on, in the autonomous zone, you know, they've been saying, we're down with the borders and open borders, but they've got borders in the autonomous zone. And, and, and we, we got too many guns, but the guards have guns in the autonomous zone, which, which proves the point that the revolution, particularly this Marxist stuff that they're trying to sell us, always gives you something worse than what they claim they're liberating you from. Because what I want to know is, well, who elected you? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> they appointed themselves because they had the guns. They said they got a warlord there who's passing judgment on everybody. And you all probably saw this craziness. All the white people here give $10 to any black person you can find. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be involved in any mess like that anyway. But, but if you're stupid enough to be involved, you ought to be smart enough to realize, what's $10 going to do? I mean, to me, I'm thinking, now, you know, if you really want to be bold, I said, if you want to follow your revolution to its logical conclusion, what you ought to say, bring your deeds to your houses and bring your, your, uh, 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 um, uh, the ownership of your cars. And I want you all to sign those over to your victims, but you keep paying the bills. Because after all, that's the least you can do. I wonder how many people would still be left there. Well, maybe the people, they don't have any houses, or so it may, it may not be an issue. But I mean, this, this is just, this is insanity. Oh, and by the way, they've said, you know, they're taking it back because after all, we stole it from the Native Americans in the first place. Well, then, from, the, from my perspective, everybody ought to leave but the Native Americans. You, nobody else has a right to be there. I, I mean, but, but here again, see, you know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that a lot of these people are angry with their daddies. Yeah. I'm serious. I'm convinced a lot of them are angry with their daddies, like, like children having tantrums. My father didn't like, love me. My father didn't pay attention to me. I'm going to get back at America. I'm going to get back at the father of the country, George Washington. I'm going to tear his statue down. I'm going to tear down everything that this country represents. I really believe that's Colin Kaepernick's problem. Not having a, his own father there to love him and affirm him, and now he's angry with the world. And of course, he's got plenty of reason to be angry. He's only worth about $100 million. 
So, you know, clearly he's oppressed. I mean, see, when fathers abandon their children, the children have a harder time finding their place in the world. Just like that woman, I just read you how she, she's angry. She said, I wanted to fight somebody. I wanted to hurt somebody. And, and look, my father was a wonderful man, but I remember one major difference between living in foster care and living with my father. And I can tell, it, tell you what it is because I was conscious of it. And you know what it was? When my father took me out of foster care and took me to live with him, I suddenly believed that I was loved and had value. My foster family, as, as wonderful as they were, and I'm not saying this, this is true for all children, it was true for me. They could not give me what I needed because I felt, where's my mother? Where's my father? Why, don't, why aren't they around me? All my friends pretty much, a lot of them had only their mothers, but, but some of them had their mothers and their fathers there, but I didn't. And when my father came back into my life, I can remember, I still get emotional about it. I can remember laying in my bed at 12 years old. My father would come in and lay his hand on my head and just stay there for a second. And I could just, I would be awake, but I could just remember how that made me feel. It made me, my father loves me. My father loves me. And see, a lot of these children, they're crying, a lot of these people running around, they're, they're crying out for love. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why spiritual fathers are so important today. Because in a sense, we've got a vacuum to fill for people who've never known the love of their biological father. They need to know that they're loved. They need to know that they're affirmed. And by the way, this is men and women. Because men go looking for male affirmation in all the wrong places and women go looking for love in all the wrong places and they end up in exactly the same place that their fathers left them. Raising children without fathers, angry with the world, not being able to find their place in the world. And Malachi 4, 5 and 6 says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And look at one of his primary missions. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. You know what God is telling us? He's telling us that as we get closer to the end, there's going to be more and more father abandonment. I mean, you, how can you not read it that way? Amen? In, in, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, somebody's going to have to preach to people that fathers got to come back to their children and children have got to acknowledge and forgive their fathers and reconcile with them. Amen? So what this is saying is the absence of a father brings a curse. It brings a curse. Like, who am I really? Well, if, you, if you're a man and you, you grow up learning to hate your father, well, maybe you're not a man. Maybe you were really meant to be a woman because those men are really bad. Like you heard this, this young lady say, Jaquela, as I read earlier, she said, I, I began to hate all men. Well, what, what do you, uh, look, don't you know there are a lot of people who are, women who are lesbians who have that attitude about men because they've been hurt by a man? And they think, well, the answer is, I, you know, men don't really know how to love and men are, can't be relied on. Well, I've got to find somebody, I've got to find a woman. And before you know it, they're all caught up in that. And these transgenders, 
wanting to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a man on the outside, they're saying, but I'm really a woman on the inside. You trace a lot of this stuff back, it goes back to molestation. It goes back to absence of fathers. It goes back to, to, to the way these people have been raised and they're, 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 they're mentally and morally and, and, and sexually confused. And what they really needed in their lives was a father to help them find themselves. Amen. 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 But the presence of the father brings the blessing. Other than Jesus, the reason why I've been successful in my life to the extent I've been, other than Jesus, because I mean, he is the primary reason, but other than Jesus, it's the values my father gave me that allowed me to become something worthwhile and to do something worthwhile. Because my father was the one, my, and please hear this, my father never once told me, son, I wish you could be something, but you know the racists won't let you. And the white folks won't let you. And the system won't let you. So son, just be a bum. Because that's all they're going to let you do anyway. I mean, I never heard anything like that. My father told me, in fact, I was saying to a friend of mine who, who has this joke when I was running for lieutenant governor, a friend of mine, Don was small, used to get up in front of people and say, he would give my resume. He said, oh, and by the way, he also walked on the moon. And people would say, what? And then he would say, well, no, he didn't really walk on the moon, but you know, I, that would be his little joke. But you know, my father used to say, and I told him one time, I said, you know, it's interesting you use that. I said, because my father used to say, son, reach for the stars. He said, and even if you don't make it to the stars, he said, you'll land on the moon. He said, but you'll be a whole lot further along than if you don't reach at all. That's the way I was taught. I wasn't taught, well, they won't let you, so no, what's the point? And my father used to say, be the very best at what you do. My father was a third-class welder in Sunship Building and Dry Dock Company. And because of the way he was raised, you know, my father was raised in an era when if you were left-handed, that was considered a curse. So we needed to get rid of that and teach you to be right-handed. Well, you know, a lot of people thought that. And so my father was raised that way, and what it did, it made him ambidextrous. My father was one of the only welders in the whole shipyard who could weld with either hand equally well. And he said when you had jobs that needed a left-handed welder and they didn't have them, they would come to him and say, well, well, Bill Jackson, you can weld with either hand, right? He said, yeah. And they would give him the job. And he would say, son, he said, I know that I don't get the recognition I should get for the job I do. He said, but I'll tell you one thing. My father used to say this to me. He said, when I step back from a job I do and hit that slag, I guess the slag is the, is the extra well and falls off. He said, I look at that job. He said, there's nobody who could do it better. <laughs> Amen. And that's the way I was taught. I was taught, be excellent. Be, do the very best you can be. Don't, don't, don't half-step at anything. Amen. But I was never taught this victimization and, oh, the world's against you. And, oh, son, I just wish... I just, and my father only had a sixth grade education, but he filled me with hope and possibility for the future. Where are the fathers who are doing that for their children today? As opposed, I mean, and frankly, some of these so-called father types like LeBron James and Spike Lee and, and a lot of these other folks who are famous are instead filling people with hopelessness. Telling them what you can't do and the system's against you and they won't let you and the police are out hunting down black men. All this ridiculous nonsense. 
Instead of telling them, get an education. Find out what your gifts are. Pursue that. My father used to say this to me. Son, there will be people against you as you go along for a variety of reasons. They may be jealous of you. They may not like you, whatever. He said, but you know what? He said, when people find out you want to do something with your life, help will come from unexpected places. He always taught me, you, you just go be about doing something with your life. He said, there will be people who will see that. And he said, they will come along and help you. But instead, what we're sowing into these young people today is a bunch of, of, of hopelessness. The, the, the presence of a father brings hope. It brings vision. It brings possibility. It brings a willingness to accept responsibility. Yeah, I, I can't tell you, you know, when, when my wife and I got married, and I, I went out to California on the orders from the Marine Corps, and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to send for you. And uh, at the time, my, my in-laws didn't know me that well, but they kind of, I later learned, they kind of said, yeah, right, yeah, he's going to send for you. Yeah, he, yeah, okay. You know, young man, right, he's going to go out to California. I went out there, I think it took me about a month, maybe a month and a half. I went out and found an apartment, filled it with groceries, and bought a little car, and told my, and sent my wife a ticket and said, come on, come on out, we're ready. And I guess when they, they said, he did? She said, yeah, I'm going. And that was it. But that, that's because of the way I was raised. I wasn't raised to, to run from your responsibility. I was raised to, to fulfill your responsibility, amen? Amen, amen. We, we need to teach young people that today. Praise God. Look. We live in the greatest nation on earth to live and work and fulfill your God-given potential and raise a family and do good things in life. And you got a bunch of people running around telling people this is the worst place in the world. So, so let, me, let me just end with giving you three things that we got to do to correct this. Because I don't want to say all this and then not, well, Bishop, what do we do about it? Because, I mean, how do you rebuild families? Well, it's going to take a while to get it done other than a miraculous move of God. It's just going to take a while to rebuild families. But it's got to be done because without that, we're not going to see progress in all these other social issues we've got. So here's what I would suggest. Number one, churches have got to preach it. Amen. Churches have got to preach it. We got to preach the importance of fatherhood and not go along with this nonsense that we're hearing in the world about toxic masculinity and the patriarchal family and all this craziness that we're being told about somehow many. Listen, my wife will tell you, one of my favorite shows, I watched it when I was growing up. Now, Father Knows Best. I love that program. In fact, I just watched one where uh, the, the father character, Robert Young, comes in and the whole family just gets around him. Well, nowadays, the family, the father is a matter of, he's, he's a subject of ridicule now. He's a joke. He's a joke. Uh, and, and besides that, who needs a father to mother and children? We got to have two homosexuals now. I mean, that's, that's the thing. But he comes in and the family just surrounds him and his son Bud looks at this and after a while, he comes and taps his father and says, he said, Dad, he said, yes, son. He said, how do you do it? <laughs> he said, do what? He said, you walk in and everybody just surrounds you. Everybody, everybody just loves you. <laughs> and he says to him, son, it takes some time to find your place in the world, but you'll find it. <laughs> Amen. I love that program. We, we, need, we need more programs like that instead of this junk that they're showing on television. Amen. <laughs> so churches need to preach it. But then schools need to teach it. 
You know what that means? Get your children out of public schools because they're not going to teach them that. They're not going to teach them that in public schools any longer. That's done. They're going to teach them in public schools now. Oh, you don't know whether you're a boy or a girl. Give yourself a chance.